Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Two readings tonight. The first can be found on page 613 and is from Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty, from the womb of the dawn you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And the second reading is turning on into Hebrews, page 1204, page 1204, Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, He remains a priest forever. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's remain standing for a prayer. Father, we do thank you that you still speak by your spirit through your word. And may that be clear tonight and give us open and receptive hearts and obedient wills. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, it seems a rather extraordinary thing that uh, on a wonderful occasion, all these young people, you invite the oldest person in the congregation, I think with one exception, to come up and preach. And, and he's going to preach about Melchizedek. That really is quite something, isn't it? Anyway, when this was planned, we didn't know all this was going to happen, so it's a joy to be here tonight. May I just begin by making a comment as a former vicar that I'm very glad to know that the present vicar is learning grace and mercy over the years. He did not refer to the fact that Leeds beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 yesterday. I, was, I had my opening line all fixed up and I, wasn't, I don't need it. Because you see, I was going to say, if you support Sheffield Wednesday, it teaches you sanctification. You learn to grow in, you know, in sort of perseverance and patience. But clearly, it's happening already. Well done. <laughs> so we get in anyway. Please turn to Psalm 110. Uh, we're looking at these Easter Psalms and I'm taking a Psalm that almost certainly and infinitely greater than any one of us here in this congregation preached on a special occasion. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if our Lord had had a, a recording apparatus when he walked along with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and it's said that he spoke in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did he really quote Psalm 110? I can't prove it. But I do know that on that same night when he gathered with the disciples, it said that he took all the scriptures in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms as he spoke about his death and his resurrection and the challenge of repentance and forgiveness. So I'm sure this psalm must have been on his lips on those occasions. And we certainly do know that Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament. Constantly there comes this promise, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We actually know that that was quoted by Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisee and he, come, he said to the Pharisee, why do you call the Messiah the son of David? He's not David's son, he's his Lord. And he quoted this psalm to the Pharisee to prove his point. So the challenge comes to us, uh, the Lord said, to my Lord, God says, Jesus says, to my Lord, who is uh, Jesus, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. And the New Testament is full of this picture of Jesus at the right hand of God. And we'll come in a minute to Melchizedek, who is a, a great and shadowy figure, a king, priest, the only one in the Bible who's a king, priest. Experts will tell me, no, there was one other but I'm keeping him till the end as a good final climax so that the young people who have been baptised today will have something very special to mark. But that's waiting till the end. Uh, but the king priest was you. There was nobody else but a king and a priest. Jesus was unique. And the challenge is he was meant to be a priest forever because he's at the right hand of God and he ever lives. Now, just a little matter of geography while we think of it. When we come to a communion service in this church, at the, always in a church, the table, the communion table is at the east end. And it says in the old prayer book, 
which I still cherish, the old prayer book, 1662, older even than me, that old prayer book uh, says that when it comes to communion service, the minister shall be at the north end of the table. Now, if you're very clever and you know that ceased, you know the north end is where Paul is, if he was up there, that's the north end of the table. And some churches, I think quite wrongly, have the minister standing with his back to the congregation, offering bread and wine. Now, you don't have to offer bread and wine to the Lord. He doesn't need that. Sometimes we go the other side and we stand there and offer it to the congregation. That's better. But the best place is to be at the right hand because it's the Lord who presides at communion. That's his place. He's got a unique place. And the great privilege of any minister is to be at his right hand just as the Lord is at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And that's a great and wonderful joy. And Jesus, therefore, as the high priest and the king forever, is unique. He is at the right hand of God. Uh, One of my, in days gone by, I used to travel a bit preaching. And I was privileged to preach in the Cameroon uh, to a group of Wycliffe Bible translators. And I was invited in to do a debate because they had a problem. They were translating into uh, one of the languages of the Cameroon people uh, the word about King David dying. Now, kings in the Cameroons didn't die. They went into another world and so they didn't die. And so the translator said, if we say King David died, they would say he wasn't a proper king then if he died. And they had to, do we therefore change the verse of the Bible? Or I said, you you teach the people that he is a unique king, that all the other kings will all die. This king, Jesus, will will, will live forever. And in a sense, David is a kind of symbolism. He died, but our king Jesus lives forever. And so, as Peter did on the day of Pentecost, David, his tomb is still, still with us, but this king reigns forever and ever. If when we finish tonight after a good and wonderful service and it's been great to share in this great occasion, if you've got a few minutes when you get home, find my good friend Melchizedek. He appears in Genesis 14 and 15 and so that you uh, know we haven't made him up, you'll discover this man, the kind of scarlet pimpernel of the Bible. And if you return to Genesis 14, 15, you'll find a very intriguing story. You'll find uh, that King Abram, who was... uh, a great man of faith, started becoming a a battler. He fought. He joined in a war. Didn't want to particularly, but he joined in a war to rescue his 'er ne'er-do-well nephew, Lot. And in order to rescue Lot, he fought a battle. And one king, a king of Sodom, tried to get Abram to join his ranks. He offered him uh, a position. Come and join us. Be one of us. And Abram turned him down. And God said, I am your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. You may think you will suffer because you haven't joined King of Sodom, but all will be well. And into that story enters this strange Melchizedek, King of Sodom, a king of Salem. And he offers to Jesus bread and wine. Now, interesting enough, because people go overboard about the communion service in church history, there is no reference in Hebrews anywhere to Melchizedek bringing bread and wine. It wasn't anything to do with the communion service. It wasn't the foreshadowing of that. It was just bread and wine. It was Melchizedek offering him something very wonderful. And he remains to be, remains a picture, a picture of our Lord like the Son of God. Melchizedek was like the Son of God 
and we will see just very briefly the contrast between the shadowy figure and the, the unusual shadow and the unique, unique saviour. Melchizedek is the unusual shadow. The Bible insists, and we saw it last Sunday morning and I was preaching, the shadow, the sun shines from Jesus and it shines backwards. And in the Old Testament, you get the shadow of what comes in the New Testament. And Melchizedek is one of those shadows. He's an unusual figure. He has an unusual title. And there's an unusual tribute. He's an unusual figure. If you read carefully in Hebrews, it says about that bit we read, that he was without father or mother. He had no beginning and no end. Please, he was not somebody from outer space who dropped in and was different. He did have a father and he did have a mother, but it didn't matter. Every other priest was a priest because they had the right pedigree. They had the right descent. It's lovely to reading the testimonies of the girls who have been baptised tonight. And it's lovely to see how many of them got Christian family. And though that hasn't made them Christians, it makes a lot of difference. It's my privilege over the years in this congregation to see Christian families and children growing up, seeing their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. There's a lot to be said for having a good Christian pedigree But Melchizedek comes right out of the blue. He's very different. He's an unusual figure. And in one sense, he is like the Son of God because Jesus has neither beginning nor end. He always was. He always will be. We say it in our creed, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light. He always was. He always will be. And so Melchizedek has a kind of shadow, the unusual figure. He has an unusual title, we saw in, in the in, bit in Hebrews that his name Melchizedek in the Hebrew means king of righteousness. But he was also a king of Salem. And we've been reminded in our prayers by Mark that Salem, Jerusalem, means the city of peace. And so Melchizedek had in his person, in this uh, title, he was both righteousness and peace. And the psalmist, Psalm 85, will say about our Lord that righteousness of peace have kissed each other. You see, for many people, they want either peace or righteousness. Let's have peace at any price. Let's not battle for anything. Let's sort of keep it calm. Let's not have these kind of principles that cause conflict. But Jesus would bring peace, but he made us right with God. We are justified by faith because of what he did on the cross. And how many of these girls' testimony was that they came to believe that Jesus died for them? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And so Melchizedek begins to shadow Jesus. But also an unusual tribute. When it comes to Abram and Melchizedek, instead of Abram, Melchizedek blessed Abram. And Abram offered Melchizedek his tithe he gave his gifts to Melchizedek and Abram was demonstrating the uniqueness and he proved it by what he gave over the years Vickers of Fullwood have spent a lot of time encouraging people to give I've loads of sermons on how to give it's one of my uh, specialities and challenging people to give but it's not so much a matter of giving of our money tonight that I want to stress to you I want you to think, all of you here, parents of these young girls who've been baptised tonight, friends who are here, 
What our Lord wants of us is that we should offer to him the best, the first. That's the tithe. You don't give to God what's left over when you've spent on yourself. You give to God first and then trust him. When I come back at the end of this sermon to the king priest, who's very special to me tonight, you'll see how it all ends up. For it's very important that we should offer him the best of our lives. These young people have. There may be other young folk here tonight, some of the lads who want to follow, it, follow suit. The giving of our lives, giving him the best. The unusual shadow of Melchizedek. His figure, his title, his tribute. But what about the unique saviour? What about the one whom Melchizedek represents? Well, there's a unique promise here. For it says in Hebrews, you can follow it through in Hebrews chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He goes on. He is our high priest. He ever lives. He will always be there. He will always be there to pray for us. Now, we've reminded you tonight that these girls want your prayers. We all need the prayers of one another. But the most wonderful thing is that in heaven we have one who always prays for us. This wonderful promise that he is there and he's promised that always He'll be there to pray for us. Please take heart. You've made your vows today. It'll not always be easy. It'll often be tough. But he ever lives to make intercession for us. Then secondly, there's a unique person. He, our Lord is the, the unique saviour. He is the one who is king and priest. He is unique. And it says about him that he's without beginning and without end for he ever lives. And with a unique priest, with a unique promise, and the unique person comes this unique priesthood. He offered the final sacrifice forever. Reading Hebrews is full of this note that priests came and went. A whole list of priests came and went, but they eventually died. And their job was to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice which can never take away sin. Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself once and for all, and only he could do that. And because he has done that, because he has made the unique sacrifice for sins forever, we can be, have great hope. When Abraham, in Genesis 15, in the story of Melchizedek, when he was bothered about the fact the king of Sodom was on his trail, and he wondered how he would manage. God's promise said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, in this world, you don't always get rewards for following Jesus. Many people in this world of today, in many parts of the world, if they made their vows like people have made them tonight, would be destined for death. And certainly in many parts of our society, if you want to get on in life, don't take this too seriously. Just have enough religion to get by. No, there's no promise that we shall get rewards now. Nor is there a promise that it'll always be comfortable and easy. When I come on to my last king priest, there's a very solemn reminder in that very chapter that reminds us that if we do follow this unique priest, then there would be a cost to it. Who was this 
unique priest, a king priest who tried to be what he should never have been. For in the Jewish economy, a king could never be a priest. It was a gentleman called Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, says Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Most people, the only thing they know about Uzziah is that he died. Well, if he died, he clearly lived before he died. But the most important thing, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, said Isaiah. May I read something about King Uzziah to you? In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, it says this about Uzziah. Listen. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he decided he was a priest. He didn't like the priest of his day. He would do the priestly job. And in offering priestly sacrifice, pretending to be the king priest, which he could never be by law, God struck him down and he developed leprosy and he went into seclusion and eventually died. And why was that important for Isaiah? Well, Isaiah, you see, was around in the days of Uzziah. For Isaiah, the young prophet, Uzziah, who'd been a great king, was a hero. He was his model. Good to have models. I trust our young folk have models in their family and models in their leaders and models in the church. It's good to have models we like to follow, but even models let you down. We've all had people who failed us, and we've all failed others. And when Uzziah went into sin and got leprosy, Isaiah was shattered. But in the year that King Uzziah died, shattered Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 1, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his, his train filled the temple and when he saw the Lord he admitted his sin he bowed before him and he heard a voice saying whom shall I go who will go for us whom shall I send and who will go for us and came the word from Isaiah here am I send me and why do I want to finish on that note because in a sense it's rather special to me tonight as I came to this occasion. Naturally, I find great joy in seeing all these young people in this church that I've known and loved for so many years. Love to see you all. But it reminds me of a day, I never had a, a, a very dramatic uh, baptism in the days when I was I baptised as a child, which I do not remember. Uh, I was confirmed as a teenager which I don't remember. Yes, I do remember. In those days, confirmation was on a Saturday afternoon. Can you imagine it? Saturday afternoon for a football lover. And I remember that uh, we had to, there were about six churches joined together and we managed to get the service over in time because the church we had, had the confirmation in was within yards of Ewood Park. Now, if you've never heard of Ewood Park, it is the home of Blackburn Rovers Football Club. And I lived, and so we managed to get in. In those days, they opened the gates for the last quarter of an hour. So we got in free. So I got a certain amount of uh, uh, compensation for being confirmed on a Saturday afternoon. So my confirmation was not a sort of special occasion, sadly. It sort of happened. Now, I hope that for none of you who've been baptised today, it will just be another occasion. I would hate to think of that. But I had one day that was 
very, very, very special in my life. And I would, for reasons I think deep in my heart I know, I would want to say to you, I would long to see particularly young men here, but also women, but even more young men, hearing what I heard. I was at university, and I heard a sermon on Isaiah chapter 6. I don't remember having heard it preached before. Preached by a man who later became principal of Oak Hill College, where Paul studied and I studied eventually. And he preached on this great text. On a Saturday night at Oxford, I remember it well. And we had this great sermon on whom shall I send and who will go for us. And suddenly it dawned on me that God wanted me to offer my life in service to him. I was a Christian, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I, did, I was thinking of going to the civil service, but that sounded boring. I'd even written letters to the BBC. Would you believe it? the arrogance of youth? I'd written letters to the BBC saying, I know a lot about cricket. Would you like another cricket commentator? Uh, so as far as I know, they've got the letter somewhere on their files, but uh, I didn't get off with a job. But there on that day, I heard this man preach. And on the Sunday night when I sat in church again, the Saturday night I heard him preach, and on Sunday night, I had no doubt at all. I said to the Lord, you're, you're, you're asking me. And so I'm saying, here am I. Send me. That to me was a dramatic moment. That was a changing point in my life. I went back to my room. I'm not always decisive. I was that night. I wrote my famous three letters. One to my vicar, who was delighted. One to my parents. My father was horrified. What a waste of an Oxford education. My mother was just disturbed I think I wrote to Margaret now my wife then my fiance she didn't think she was getting, going to marry a vicar but she's married very well she's not <laughs> will you please be careful she's not here tonight she's got a bug <laughs> so I can say it since she's not here tonight and uh, the three letters went off and within weeks, I was being accepted for training for the ministry. My life changed around. And that all came from Isaiah 6. And do you know that Isaiah 6 is about the most quoted Old Testament book in the New? No, not the bit I read. The bit that's most quoted, quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I don't think any other verse is quoted in all six books. That is the end where it says, okay, whom shall I go and who, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And God said, go. And it's going to be tough. They're not going to listen. They're going to turn their backs on you. Uh, there'll be a lot of rejection. Go. And that's the bit that's quoted six times in the first six books, New Testament. So I would say to any young person here tonight, with a challenge of Christian service. If you want something that's tough, but wonderfully rewarding, that is a battle, but eternally worthwhile, just as these young people have made their vows to the Lord tonight. What about you making a vow to the Lord for service? It would be a joy to me to see young men and women saying, here am I, send me. 
I've never been in the next open appeals, but I, almost, I was almost tempted. I'd love to see you out, make a promise. But do consider it. Do ponder it. And for all of us, whatever age we may be, I think the challenge, not exactly Melchizedek, I won't get very many marks for a good exposition of Psalm 110. I've missed quite a bit out, but I've spoken from the heart of things that I hope will mean something to you and will fit in with this very special occasion. Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus, your Son, our Lord, is at your right hand and he ever prays for us. And with that confidence, we would dare to come to you and ask that as he died, that we might live. So help us to live that others might live. Help us to die to pride and to comfort and ease and to lift your glory. And may we have the courage to say to you tonight with real sincerity, whatever it may mean in the future, here am I. Send me. Amen.